0: with you tonight and you want to turn there I'm going to be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to John in chapter 8 and uh, we'll start reading at around verse 12 and uh, while you're finding that uh, I'm going to read a scripture out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, and I, I imagine that it's familiar to you, but uh, be fine in John chapter 8 because that's where most of the text is going to come from. But uh, John or Isaiah here in chapter 53, he really sums it up, kind of the state of affairs uh, in the hearts of men and women. And this is... Um, this is kind of the state of affairs as well when I I read verse 6. I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 6 from Isaiah 53, and then we'll get into John chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Uh, It says in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And in verse 6, notice he says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That in. Isaiah 53 that when Isaiah wrote those words down he was talking about a suffering Savior. A Savior that would come into this world who would bleed out his own blood that he would die for our sins and uh, we find here in John chapter 8 where we're getting ready to read that uh, Jesus had gone into the temple and he had began to talk to him and right in the middle of his sermon that uh, the Pharisees come marching in and they bring in a woman uh, uh, that when they bring her in she's condemned to death. uh, uh, That she He's been caught in the very act of adultery and they're just trying to lay a trap for Jesus but what they don't realize is what they're doing uh, is they're examining the lamb uh, uh, just as John said uh, when he seen him coming to be baptized he said behold the lamb of God uh, which taketh away the sin of the world uh, uh, and now they've come and they've asked him this question and it's a hard question uh, because Jesus was all about mercy uh, and kindness uh, and exercising good judgment uh, and the interesting thing uh, is when they ask him and look at him and say what do you say it says that uh, uh, all he says uh, is let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone and then he stoops down and begins drawing in the dirt and I've thought a lot about that and I've heard people speculate on it. Some have said that He's written down the Ten Commandments and maybe He did and there's uh, That's reasonable, but I can tell you this. Uh, what I think about uh, is that dust of the earth that He's doodling in. Uh, uh, that that's what we're made out of. Uh, we're just but dust. Uh, and maybe Jesus was uh, uh, stirring it up and showing them, uh, you're but dust. Uh, and without God uh, and without His righteousness, Uh, and His mercy. uh, uh, This is what you'll return to uh, and there won't be much else uh, other than an eternity of suffering. uh, And they're all ready uh, to use the Word of God to destroy uh, when Jesus said, I am come that you might have life uh, and that you have it more abundantly. Uh, And when the whole situation wraps up, it says that after every man examined himself, And you see what he did now was he shined the light. On them, In the very beginning of this same book it says uh, uh, he was life and his life was the light of men. Uh, uh, that he told them, look, uh, if you want to kill uh, then you make sure that you're not deserving of death yourself. Uh, and maybe he did write down the Ten Commandments. Uh, and right at the bottom he wrote, guilty of one, guilty of them all. Uh, uh, maybe he uh, really just pierced their hearts uh, and it says one by one they left. Oh yeah. And there he stands then, that woman there with him, condemned to death. And he asks her, where are your accusers? And we know the story. And she says, there's none left. He looks at her and says, then neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And notice what he says in verse 12. Right after that he said that to her, he says, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, uh, but shall have the light uh, of life. Uh, That when those men came uh, and accused this woman, and she was guilty, uh, uh, that was not in dispute. Uh, You see, because there was more than one of them saying it. Uh, And under their law, if two people give a testimony, and it agrees, uh, then it's established as truth. And Jesus never said, yes, kill her, or no, don't kill her. He said, look Look at yourselves, And he shined light on them. And he showed them, you see, their condemnation. If you were to turn into the third chapter of this same book, you would find that Jesus told them the big problem for them was is that they preferred the darkness because their deeds were evil. And that's the way that this world is. That's the way that 21st century America is. When you begin to preach the gospel, when you begin to witness, when you begin to shine that light, and it sees and shows the dusty corners, whenever it shows that everything ain't just exactly as the way people are, they get offended. And these Pharisees, they were offended. Jesus told him, you follow me you're going to live you choose not to and you're well within your rights then the only thing that's left to you is death he said but I am the light of the world I have come that they might have life and that they have it more abundantly he makes that simple statement and then in verse 13 it says the Pharisees therefore said unto him thou bearest record of thyself thy record is not true you can't testify of yourself is what they're saying. And it's in their law. You can't give testimony. And if it's just you talking, it's not established as truth. And yet we've just seen now that several of them came and they established as truth that this woman was an adulterer. What they, did, what they failed to do was bring the man too. You see, they didn't rightly divide word of truth and that happens a lot nowadays too we find that people begin to want to cherry pick scripture and pull it out and say now let's talk about this like Matthew 7 1 as I've mentioned many times judge not lest ye be judged people love to camp out on that scripture rather than looking around and saying you know what if the word of God is applicable then it judges every single man Whether you want it to or not, whether you believe it or not, it does not matter because the truth is that pesky thing that remains to be so even when you stop believing it. Oh yes, it still remains to be. Oh yes. And so the Pharisees are saying, hogwash. Yeah, that's what it is. There, Jesus, you think that you can tell? You're the light of the. Are you kidding me? You're just one guy. But notice what he says in verse 14 Jesus answered and said unto them Though I bear record of myself yet my record is true for I know whence I came and whither I go but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Verse 15 Ye judge after the flesh I judge no man and yet if I judge my judgment is true for I am not alone but I and the Father that sent me what he said is I might testify myself but God God backs everything that I'm doing God has shown and witnessed at one point he looks at him and says you don't believe me just because of what I tell you look at the work see what I've done and you'll notice that many different places he said you'll know them by their fruit you'll know them by what they're doing because he says out of a good tree it brings forth not bad fruit And a bad tree can't bring forth good fruit. uh, uh, That it'll either be one way or it's the other. Uh, And Jesus, the things that He's done, imagine uh, if He'd looked around and if you look in the sixth chapter of this same book, uh, you'll find now that He stood up uh, and He preached to the people. Uh, He was feeding their souls. uh, And then their flesh became in need. uh, And then He fed that too. Uh, He demonstrated that God can supply all your needs, uh, not just that. Uh, And you would think the way that chapter 6 starts out, it starts out on a high note. You would read that chapter and think, this is going to be good. And and Jesus' ministry is going to end quite well or go quite well here. But by the end of chapter 6, it says that many forsook Him. They said, He's talking about the bread of life, saying that He's the bread of God which cometh down from heaven. He's the manna. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but He says, when you eat of my body of the bread that I've come to bring you, He said, you're going to live and you're going to live forevermore. And what I read there in Isaiah 53 is that Isaiah was acknowledging all we like sheep have gone astray. We need a Savior. And all of it's going to be on Him. And it's all about Him. Because I can tell you, the scariest thing that I've ever seen is a preacher who preaches Christ, not crucified, who preaches Christ without the cross. And without the cross, He indeed only was a good teacher. He indeed only was a prophet. But with the cross, uh, Him having gone to the cross, uh, He becomes our Redeemer, uh, our Savior, uh, the One who has brought us uh, uh, like those sheep that were gone astray, uh, brought us back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holds Isaiah 53. If you read it, essentially what you should get from it is God didn't hold back. God whooped Him like we deserved. Oh yeah. God wore him out. God didn't hold back. He laid all of our sin upon His own Son. And He didn't take it easy on Him. But rather it says that He wounded Him. He bruised Him. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. He took stripes on His back for our healing. And He's talking to a group of people who's saying, Oh no, you're not that guy. And Jesus is saying, Look around. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what you see. And it's no different when John the Baptist begins to doubt toward the end of his life. And he sends his own disciples and they say, Are you he or do we look for another? And Jesus says, Guys, tell him what you see. Tell him about how the blind, they leave me seeing, how the deaf, they leave me here in the lame walk. And to the poor, the gospel is preached. You tell John about that. And John knows enough to know that the very works sake testify that I am he. And that's what he's telling these Pharisees. He goes on in verse 17. says, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And he's not just saying that God's standing there saying yes, uh uh-huh, but rather he is using him in the way in which that he sees fit because if you looked in the sixth chapter, Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will. I'm not working in the flesh. Jesus just told him you judge after the flesh and it's an incorrect judgment that he has come in the spirit and that he come and worked and he said I've come to do the will of the father I believe the way the apostle Paul put it said he was obedient even unto death yes, he might. meaning that when God said you're going to go and you're going to die he said yes just like Isaac did his father Abraham Abraham said come on we're going to go sacrifice Isaac carried the wood up the hill that he was going to be burned with. Just like Jesus carried his own cross oh, yeah. up the hill that he was going to be crucified on. He carried it as far as he could. Right. And so Jesus is telling them, look, God is showing his power through me. And they knew this because of how I can, you know, time fails me to take you to all the places that I can just think of readily in which that they watched him to see if he would heal somebody on the Sabbath. They knew he could. They just didn't want him to do it that particular day of the week. And Jesus is telling him, you already know that I can do these things. And no man has ever done the things that he has done. Nobody had ever exercised the power uh, over nature itself, uh, over death itself like Jesus did. Uh, Because you'll see just in a chapter or two after this one, that Jesus stands in the mouth of a tomb uh, uh, when everybody said, look, Jesus, don't open the stone. Uh, He's begun to rot. Uh, The corruption is set in and yet Jesus says, roll it back. Uh, He speaks in that a dead man hears him obeys him gets up and it says that many believe from that point on because they believe for the very works sake and you see a lot of people would say oh it's not about works and no it isn't works aren't going to get you to heaven but I can tell you this if you're wanting everybody else to know that you're a Christian, they'd better have some evidence. They'd better have something that they can look around and say, you know what? Yes, they're guilty of being a Christian. Amen. Now I can tell you, and I've thought about this before, uh, they've talked about over the years of putting cameras in teachers' rooms. And I know that all the teachers' unions uh, get upset about it. No, that's, uh, that's not right. And I get it. I get what they're saying and all that. But I thought about putting up a... You know, if somebody put up a camera in your home. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's say I put up a camera in my home and you was able to tune in at your leisure. I don't know why you would want to watch that show. You'd probably just get to watch me watch a little TV and shovel food in my face. But if you watched and you watched diligently, you would see me mess up as a Christian. I have no doubt. And then maybe... I would like to think you wouldn't be like hot dog That makes me better Because it doesn't Right. All that would do hopefully for you is be like Well brother Jeremiah is but a man And I'll go ahead and tell you You put your faith in me I will let you down yeah, yeah. Even at my best intentions I'll come up short I won't be, I'll make a mistake I'll fall short Or I just simply won't have the ability to help you in the way in which that you do. But now imagine that in getting to put a camera in my house, I get to put one in yours. And I get to watch your show. And I imagine that if I watched it, if we're all being honest, I would see you mess up too. Oh, yes. And over the years, and I've had people pose this question to me about other ministers or something, they knew some dirt on the guy. And they're like, how can he be called a preacher if he's done X, Y, or Z? And I've always said, look, don't judge another man's servant. You better be careful about that. Because I can tell you, God can deliver His Word through a braying mule. If He can use that, I imagine He can get it out of me or somebody else that God can use whom He'll use. And I'll say this, They may not be the best example, but if you want a good example, look at Christ. Don't look at Brother Jeremiah. I fall short daily. I need a Savior just like you need a Savior. These Pharisees needed a Savior just like we needed a Savior. And so Jesus is laid it out for them very plainly. And notice that he says in verse, or it says in verse 19, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. That they look around and say, Alright, who's this guy you're talking about? And Jesus is saying, You don't know him because you don't listen to him. You don't hearken to him because you've taken his word, which is a sword, and you've turned it into a club that you love to beat people over the head with. That you go around and all you ever do is condemn. And they might have said, no, we don't do that. But there was literally just a demonstration of them using God's Word as a club with this adulterous woman. I imagine that she stayed for the show afterwards. I imagine that when Jesus said, I am the light, he that followeth me. And she was like, I'm going to follow this guy. Because I was dead when I came in here. And he gave me life. Oh, yeah. He shined light on everybody there and they were convicted of their sins. And the thing is, there's lots of people that get convicted of their sins but never accept Christ. Everybody at one point or another, they feel the conviction of their sins. But the question is, what do they do next? And the self-righteous, they'll dig in. They'll double down on what they think is right. And they'll say, no! Uh, uh, and, and these guys, and, and trust me, I'm not going to try to read all of this chapter, but they double down and they say, look, we're the children of Abraham. You best watch your step. okay? You watch what you... you we are genetically Abraham's children. Don't, you, don't nobody say nothing bad about Abraham because he was the father of faith. And Jesus said, if you really knew Abraham... Oh, yeah. You would have rejoiced at my coming just like Abraham did. Abraham knew that there was going to be a redeemer that would come and he would redeem Abraham from his sins. Oh, yes. But they were the guys that they thought they could follow this prescription, that they could follow this set of rules, and they took a relationship with the Most High God and they killed it with their traditions, with their regulations. With their dogmatism to where that they looked around. And while they knew the word of God. They didn't know the God of the word. They didn't hearken to his voice. And that's the problem. And it says in verse 20. says These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come then said Jesus unto them I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins whither I go ye cannot come then said the Jews will he kill himself because he saith whither I go ye cannot come and he said unto them ye are from beneath I am from above ye are of this world I am not of this world I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins for if ye believe not that I am he ye shall die in your sins. Oh, yes. That's one of those scriptures that I imagine people that love love to dissect the word of God in the wrong way. They want to leave that one out. Oh yes. You mean without Jesus I'll die in my sins? And I've seen ministers over the years. I believe it was Adrian Rogers I've seen one time a, a, a reporter was interviewing him. And they asked him, they said, "Uh, you mean to tell me based on what you're preaching that you would tell a Jewish man that if he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that he'll die and go to hell? Just hoping, rubbing their hands together. We'll get him as an anti-Semite. We'll get him as coming out against the Jews. And Adrian Rogers pulled his glasses down. Looked over top of him and pointed him right at him. He said, I'm telling you the same thing that I would tell my own children that without Jesus Christ, a person cannot make it to heaven. They can't make it to God. Jesus is the bridge, He's the one that makes a person worthy to be able to stand before a holy God. And it's his broken body, his shed blood. You see, preaching Christ without the cross—that's useless. That's like having a car with no gas. But when you preach Christ and the crucified Christ, what you'll find is suddenly death doesn't have a lot of sway over you. They can't threaten you with that. And Jesus told them, "Don't fear man; that all he can do is kill you." Now, you tell that to somebody, "Oh, all well, it's going to happen, you're just going to die a little bit. It's all right." But you see, for us Christians, and I have a friend who recently gave his heart to the Lord, and he said, it, 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 this feeling, he, he tried to put it into words, and I, I've had a little more experience at him, and I said, what you're trying to describe is the fact that you're no longer afraid to die. Oh yeah. And he said, that's it that is it I, I'm not afraid to die anymore and I said amen because Jesus takes the sting of death away he takes a person who was always looking over their shoulder walking in that shadow of death back in the ninth chapter of, of Isaiah you would find that it says that those that lived under the shadow of death behold they saw a great light when Isaiah was prophesied about Jesus coming into this world He is the light of this world. And the Pharisees are saying, cut that light out. It's hurting my eyes. Don't shine it over there. I haven't cleaned that corner. Don't look in that closet. That's where I throw all the things I don't want anybody to see. And you see what Jesus says is lay it all bare. Give it to me and I'll clean it up. Give it to me and I'll make it right. (laughs) And I want you to notice now. uh, And Jesus says uh, in verse 25 it says, Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. And they understood not that He spake to them of the Father. But notice verse 28. You see, it's so important to preach the cross of Christ because He conquered death. Oh, yeah. And it says in verse 28, then says Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The Son of Man lifted up that cross uh, meant uh, as a final defeat. Uh, You know the Romans would use that cross and when they would crucify people, if they come into a town and a town resisted uh, and they took that town, they would take the leaders uh, and they would hang them on crosses uh, so that people could see the humiliation of their own defeat and the high cost uh, and it would strike terror in hearts. And then what Jesus did was He went to the cross And it became a symbol not of terror, not of hopelessness, but rather a symbol of a lack of fear of death uh, and a symbol of hope uh, that because He lives, uh, you can live also. That because He lives, uh, when you die, it just gets better. And when he was talking to them, they didn't get it. There were only a few that seemed like they got it. That Roman centurion, you know, he looked around. uh, And when the the Pharisees, some of these same sort of people, they come and they told Jesus, they said, this is a good guy, he's worthy uh, for you to come and to heal his servant. And then word made it back to the centurion. You remember how he acted? No! No! Don't tell him that! And then he said, I'm a man under authority. I know what authority is. And he recognized the authority of Jesus. And he said, he sent word to him. said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But I know if you speak the word... that it'll get done. Because I know that when I say to somebody, go, they go. When I tell them to come here, they come here. He said, Lord, I know that you have the power over sickness. You have the power over this world. You need to believe, like that Roman centurion believed, that he has authority in your life. And then trust him. Because I can tell you, this world, they've got a whole bag of tricks to confuse and confound you and to try to make you think that the light is bad, but the light is good even when it hurts your eyes, even when it shines into the darkest corners that you don't want anybody to see. But I can tell you this, when we come before God and we stand before Him, hopefully we will have begun to comprehend the light. Because in the 14th chapter of this same book, the sixth verse, I believe it is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father except by Him. That's it. You see, Jesus laid it out plainly to the Pharisees. In chapter 6, they looked at Him and said, well, why don't you prove it to us? Why don't you show us a sign? And the irony is, chapter 6 begins with them Him creating essentially a bunch of food out of only a little bit. And they use the example of the manna in the wilderness. And I imagine that a few of them was like, well, didn't Jesus kind of already do that? Didn't He multiply? Didn't He feed us? Didn't He provide us what we need? But when He began to speak about His broken body, that was what scared people off. Oh, yeah. And it will. When you tell people about Jesus Christ, not about God in the abstract, when you begin to tell them about Jesus Christ, that'll make it uncomfortable for them. And that's fine because they need to be uncomfortable. They need to move out of their comfort zone in sin and move into His grace. If you ever look up the word grace in the dictionary or Google it or anything like that, it's a very difficult word to define. But essentially what it refers to is it talks about in Christianity that it's being made whole because of another. And of course we know the other is Jesus Christ. Being made holy before God by Jesus Christ. That's the grace uh, that He gave to us. Uh, uh, that He come and sanctified us. Because we're not clean. We're not perfect. But in Him, we can be made that way. Yes. How easy that it is, though, for us to say, no, I'll clean myself up. Mm. My kids, when they were little, you know, I'd I'd send them, tell them, go brush your teeth. After a certain point, I'd tell them, you go ahead and do that. Hot dog, and they'd run in there. And one of them in particular wasn't too keen on doing that. They'd always want to go last. And I'd holler them back in there, you brush your teeth. And I won't tell you which one because I don't want to embarrass them. And I would tell them, let me smell your breath. And they'd hesitate. And I'd say, you want to go brush your teeth then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I got them good enough. Okay, well, you go back there. Knowing full well I was going to check. Thought that I might forget that time. And I think that's the way we approach the throne of God sometimes. Oh, yeah. And God says, do you want to be sanctified? Then just ask me. I'll sanctify you. You know, part of our prayer life should be seeking sanctification, being made whole. And we don't get sanctified, we don't get set right, we don't get made holy of ourselves. We can't. Because the way that we clean things is we make something else dirty. Anytime we clean anything. You ever done that? You take a rag and you wet it and put soap on it and, and you wash something and you look around and you look at the rag... And the dirt's on the rag. Yeah. You just changed its position. Oh, yeah. Something's still dirty. We can't clean to the utmost because we can't manipulate nature itself. Right. But who can manipulate nature right. itself? But our Lord and our Savior. And when He cleans, He cleans to the utmost because Jesus at another point here, and, and, and we're, we're not going to turn there, but He looks at Him and He says, but what the Son has made free, free indeed, free indeed. Meaning that if he makes you free, you're beholden to no one. And then the Pharisees looked around and said, what are you talking about? We've never been in bondage. Personally, when I read that scripture, after I got a little more learned in the word, I thought, oh really? Does your Bible not go to the book of Exodus? When the entire nation of Israel were slaves and God had to deliver them and when God made them free, what were they? They were free indeed. When He set them free and Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to set you free from sin. You might still be physically in bondage, but you're free on the inside because the Son has made you free. And you see, the children of Israel, even after they left Egypt, they weren't free in their minds. How many times did they look around and say, We need to go back to Egypt? We had enough food in Egypt, we had enough water. Uh, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. How many times did they say that? But you see, God rose up another generation. Oh, yes. Another generation that they were free. Physically, they were free in their minds. They were the ones that when God said march around Jericho, they marched. When God said shout, they shouted. They seen the wall fall down. They fought the fight. They kept the faith. They finished the course. They got the reward. And brothers and sisters, if you want a reward, you better be willing to fight. You better be willing to trust. You better be willing to obey and hearken to the voice of the Lord. But in this day and time, people run around in freedom, signing up for bondage. I've thought about this a lot, you know, that a a person, just like my own children, you know, I restrain them often. And I've told you before about the story of Faith wanting chocolate cake for breakfast. And I told her, no, you can't have that. And I explained to her and told her, I have to teach you restraint to actually eat the good things first so that they'll sustain you. And I thought about, you know, a a young person, after I told her that, I thought about a person growing up and saying, well, now I'm grown. I make my own money. I come and go as I please. I'll eat chocolate cake for breakfast if I want to. (laughs) In fact, this is the United States of America. I'll eat chocolate cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because I'm free to do what I want to do. Exercising freedom. All the while Satan's saying, that's right, you're free, buddy. You're free. You go right ahead and do just that. Pander to the flesh. And it's never satisfied, is it? And then they look around. And when they're so big and so heavy that they can't get up and go anywhere, then suddenly they're no longer free. They are in bondage. And they built the prison their i thought about that a lot. There's so many people in this world that are in bondage and they signed up for it. Oh, yeah. All in the name of freedom. Yes. And the best analogy that I can tell you is kind of like uh, a train. Brother Chuck, he drives trains for a living and I'm sure if I get anything wrong, Brother Chuck, you let me know. But that train, it's free to go ever, wherever it wants to go as long as it's on the track. Yes. When it stays where it's supposed to be, where it was designed to be at, it'll go wherever it wants to go as long as it's on the track. Now it can say, but I want to go in the meadow. And it can make in that direction. And maybe if it gets a nice head of steam and momentum and physics on its side and then jumps off the rails and while it's traveling toward the meadow, it'll look around like that guy who jumped out of a 30-story building and said a person heard him on the way down, says he went past the 15th story, everything's going fine. Oh, yeah. But then it'll stop. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a friend of mine worked on the railroad as a lineman. He'd have to work derailments and get one of them trains back on the track. It's kind of hard. Kind of difficult what he said. It takes a lot of effort. A lot of men, it calls all the king's horses and all the king's men to get that train back on the track. And To me, it's the same as, as a Christian. When we get off of the right track, it's so difficult for a person, because of pride usually, to get back. Oh, yes. Or if you want a better analogy, it's a lot easier to keep a fire burning than it is to start one. Oh, yes. It's a lot easier to keep something going and to maintain than it is to fix it. As my dad told me when uh, he had me working on the equipment and I was first starting out fancying myself to be a mechanic, as he said, maintenance is always a lot cheaper than repair. Oh, yes. I've walked that path and I can amen what he said. Yes, it is. To maintain something in our relationship to God should be maintained. And sometimes what is best for the Christian is to look back on the cross and to know what you have in Christ. That's that solid point. That you can look around and say, Devil, you can't take that from me. I might lose my house. I might lose my own mind. But I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He hung on that cross. He died for my sins. And though I may, this physical body may die, I'm going to live and live forevermore. Yeah. Yeah. That the fear of death is gone. And I may get off of the tracks, but the Apostle Peter, Apostle Peter, he told us, He said, if you come to Him and you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But sometimes we need to remember the man lifted up, the man on the cross. We need to go back to Isaiah 53, 6 and say, like a sheep, we've all gone astray and it's all on Him where we went wrong. Because a lot of times people look around and they'll say, oh, you messed up. Well, that's it for you. I'm so glad that God's not like the way a lot of parents are. Or a lot of hypothetical parents. And when I say that, I was a hypothetical parent once. And I'd see somebody's kid doing something. And stop me if you've heard this before. I wouldn't put up with that for one second. I'd whoop that kid up one side and back down the other I've said it I've heard it said and then suddenly when I had a kid of my own I set out to do them right had a friend of mine and sister Crystal's ask us one time they were getting ready to carry some furniture in we were helping and they were at this friend's house and we hollered at the kids and said get over there and sit down don't get up until we tell you and saw jaws drop when all three of them run right over to where we told them to get and sat right there. And they looked at us and said, How, how did you do that? And I told them, I said, You do that by whipping their hind ends when people are giving you dirty looks for doing it. Oh, yeah. That they think that kid's too young to whip. And maybe I, and, and I'll be honest, I messed up. I whipped them when I shouldn't have. I wasn't as patient as what I should have been. I was trying to fulfill that hypothetical parenthood, but you see, the thing is, when my kids have deliberately disobeyed me, now I tanned their hide, but I didn't cast them out. Right. I didn't quit on them. I still loved them. And God, He's much more loving than I am. When you mess up, brothers and sisters, when you mess up, know that you have an advocate with the Father. Don't quit. Brother Scott said it earlier, there's no, there's no stopping point. There's no place where that it says, okay, you've done all you have to do. It's a pressing way. Yes, it is. The Apostle Paul, he said, I run like a guy that wants to win the race. And I tell you this, you run like you want to win. You fight like your life depends on it because, well, it does. And you know that when you can't see, you've got light. And I'll leave you with this, how important is light? Many years ago, when I was but a lad, we took a trip to Carter Caves. Man, I was excited, I'd heard my friends talk about that, but I'd never got to go. And everybody that I talked to that had been, they said, bring a flashlight. When you go to Carter Caves, bring a flashlight. Of course, now we run around with a flashlight in our pocket all the time in the form of a cell phone. But back then, that wasn't the case. And I remember I got my hands on a, a little dollar store flashlight. It wasn't much, but it was mine. And we got in that cave, and I thought I knew what darkness was. I, you know, we, we lived in a little house trailer there in Eastland, and I remember I was always deathly afraid of the dark. I was a kid that would slide along the wall to reach into the room to turn the light on before I went in. I was scared of the dark, and we went in there into that cave. Of course, they had lights on and pads and all that, and they said, all right, now everybody keep your flashlights off and everything. And they turned the lights out. And I can tell you that I then became, I became aware of what the absolute absence of light was like. Oh yeah. And I remember that I had to kindly start talking to myself. I believe I was seven or eight years old. They're going to turn that light back on. And if they don't, <laughs> you've got this little dollar store flashlight right here you'll be able to use to get out of the way. And how suddenly important such a piddly little flashlight is. How important is light? When it's dark, it's real important. Oh yes. Yeah. How important is Christ to you? Because it's awful dark without Him. Yeah. I'll leave you with that. I trust that this message has blessed you. If you need the altar it's open the lord's been dealing with you in some way and